The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Judges in Jerry Hutch's trial for the murder of David Byrne at the Regency Hotel in 2016 today delivered a very significant ruling in relation to a substantial piece of evidence. After legal argument in relation to his admissibility, they spent a few days considering whether all, some or nothing of a secretly recorded conversation between Hutch and the former Sinn Féin councillor Jonathan Dowdall should be allowed into evidence. Our TFM Courts correspondent Frank Graney joins us now with the latest. So, what did they decide, Frank? All in, some allowed or nothing at all? All in, Matt, from 2.22 on the afternoon of the 7th of March 2016 to a quarter past midnight on the 8th of March. We heard previously that 420 hours across five separate dates were recorded from within Jonathan Dowdall's Jeep, but the prosecution only wanted to introduce those 10 hours or so from the 7th of March. This was about one month after the Regency Hotel shooting. All 10 hours have already been played for the judges and all 10 hours will now be considered by them when they eventually begin their deliberations. How do they arrive at the decision, firstly in relation to whether any of it should form part of their eventual deliberations? Well, well, in deciding whether or not the whole lot should be thrown out, they just simply didn't agree with the defence's argument that the warrant which allowed Jonathan Dowdall's Jeep to be bugged in the first instance was unlawful. Unlike a tracking device, if the Gardaí want to deploy a bug, they must apply for one before a district court judge. And in this case, the defence raised a number of issues about that process, including a claim that the judge didn't have the full picture when he signed off on it. There was there was no allegation, I should say, of of, um, of this judge being told lies by the officer who applied for it. But the defence claimed that the Garda didn't give the judge the full picture. Uh, For example, um, he wasn't told that a tracker had already been placed on the Jeep and they also argue that the judge should have been told it was likely to enter Northern Ireland, i.e. another jurisdiction. The judges disagreed though on that point. They decided that the tracker and the bug were entirely separate devices. So the judge didn't necessarily need to know that there was a tracking device already in play before approving the bug that would have recorded those conversations. They also said that the Garda, again, who applied for this warrant, had no way of knowing at that point that the Jeep was going to enter Northern Ireland. So we couldn't have been expected to flag that as a possibility. Because there is a legal doctrine, isn't there, what they call fruit from the forbidden tree, that if you obtain information or evidence in such as an illegal arrest, an unreasonable search or a course of interrogation, even if the information is true, that you can't use it. Absolutely. And that was thrashed out over the course of a number of days of legal argument. The trial hasn't actually sat for the past couple of days because the judges wanted to go through all of the legal submissions, all of the case law that was presented by both sides, arguing both sides of of the coin. And they took an awful lot, um, lot of time to consider the submissions and the judgment took some time to be delivered today by Ms Justice Tara Burns as well. It took over an hour before she landed on her decision. And that was one of the big ones, you know, that the fact that this had been, um, well, the defence's claim was that this had been obtained unlawfully and the judges 
strongly disagreed with them on relation to the warrant. So, you know, there were three options open to the judges. Um, you know, they could have allowed all of the evidence, some of the evidence or none of the evidence, as we say, and they've gone for, for all of them. The recordings in Northern Ireland as well was a bone of contention. Yeah, because that's you a know. really interesting one, Frank, because the idea that, you know, as soon as you cross the border, that as mm-hmm. any of the information, even if they were saying that, yes, evidence can be taken from the bug before the car crosses the border, but once it gets over the border, we're not allowed to use anything of that, we sort of go against the idea of common sense to an extent. I know, I know. Um, Again, you know, it is important to point out that the defence wanted the whole lot thrown out. But in the event that the judges decided against doing so, which for reasons I've just outlined, they did, then the defence wanted the eight hours of audio recorded you know, in Northern Ireland to be excluded because they claimed that the guards had no jurisdiction to gather evidence in other states. They said that the law didn't provide for that. And if it was to apply outside the jurisdiction, they said that it would have, you know, been expressly provided for through the legislation. And they went through the the legislation in great detail, word by word. The prosecution argued that the bug was an inanimate, movable device. The argument that they were essentially making was that it was placed on the vehicle in the Republic of Ireland and that it was taken off the vehicle when it returned to the Republic of Ireland and that the information was downloaded on this side of the border. This, by the way, they couldn't listen in on the conversations live. It wasn't a live feed. They downloaded the information when the car came back into the Republic and that was what was played to the court um, earlier this week and last week. But in the end, the judges didn't put much weight on on that argument. They didn't have to because they were satisfied that the evidence gathered north of the border was unlawfully obtained. So they did agree with the defence in relation to that. And that led everyone, including myself in the courtroom, to believe that those recordings, you know, um, in Northern Ireland were going to be thrown out. But the judges went down a different road and they looked at whether the guards who harvested and collected the evidence had known that what they were doing was outside the powers granted to them by that law. And in the end, the judges were satisfied that they didn't know and that they were, in fact, acting in good faith. And they were also satisfied that the evidence ought to be admitted in the interests of justice. So all 10 hours of that recording will now be considered by them as part of the prosecution's case. So where does the trial go from here? Well, Jonathan Dowdall is due to re-enter the stage uh, very soon. Of course, he was supposed to be front and centre with Jerry Hutch. Uh, but as we all know by now, the murder charge against him was dropped before the trial started. He's now serving a four-year sentence for a less serious offence. He is being considered for the state's witness protection programme and could take the stand as early as next week. Before he does, though, there will be some more legal argument. As I understand it, Hutch's barristers want to question some more guard the witnesses about statements made by Jonathan Dowdall. That's going to happen on Monday and the legal argument is likely to continue into Tuesday. So just, I suppose, given the way the trial has been tracking so far, Dowdall could be called at that point. So, you know, he could be back in the spotlight come Wednesday giving his evidence. I know you spent your day there, but I know you also were keeping an ear out for what was going on at the Graham Dwyer appeal for against his conviction for the murder of Elaine O'Hara. It continued today. And there's one point I just want you to maybe clear up for us. What was this about the judge having uh, to actually take issue with him today at one point during the proceedings? For what reason? Um, basically, he interrupted the court a number of times Um 
after listening to the legal teams, his legal team's grounds of appeal yesterday, the man who successfully prosecuted the case back in 2015 took to his feet to respond today. And on a number of occasions, he was interrupted by Graeme Dwyer. It happened while the court was hearing submissions in relation to phone evidence presented at trial, some text messages exchanged between the so-called master and slave burner phones that the prosecution at trial claimed Graeme Dwyer and Elaine O'Hara were using to communicate with one another. Um, one message said that he'd like to stab a girl to death. And at that point, Dwyer interrupted to say that he didn't say that. Um, that interruption was mostly ignored, a few raised eyebrows, but Mr. Gearan persevered. He was interrupted a second time, though. Again, this was in relation to another text that carried a similar message. And Dwyer interrupted to say, I didn't say any of that. He interjected again. And this was when the president of the Court of Appeal, Mr. Justice George Birmingham, stepped in, telling the defence barrister, Remy Farrell, that if his client interrupted the court again, he'd be sent to the cells. Uh, Dwyer's solicitor then went over to to Graham Dwyer, had a word with him, and that was the last of the interruptions. And Sean Gearan presented the rest of his arguments. And the matter has now been adjourned. So the hearing has concluded. And unsurprisingly, a judgment wasn't delivered today. The court is going to take some time to consider all of the grounds of appeal and the arguments made on behalf of the DPP. It's a reserve judgment, so we don't have a date yet. Um, It's unclear whether that will be delivered before the court breaks up for Christmas. But certainly if it isn't, it'll be early next year when we get that ruling. Thank you very much, Frank Rainier, today, FM Courts Correspondent. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today, FM.